Hey everybody, Steve here with Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here with Dave Pedersen of Big B's Poorhouse. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Steve. Nice to be here. Absolutely. And um, can you give us a little bit of history of uh, Bigsby's? Uh, Big B's. Big, oh, I did it again. <laughs> I swear. And we were just talking before this that there's no X in the middle. S, no S in the middle. There's no X or S in the middle. So it's, it's Big B's of yes. Rolling Meadows. So Big B's uh, opened... It'll be almost 10 years ago in Addison. Addison was the first location for Big B's. Got it. And then about five years ago, they opened up Roy Meadows, where we are in this town now. Mm-hmm. And it's a craft beer bar, so we serve several different breweries. And uh, it's been a wonderful little place for people to go who love craft beer. Craft beer is on a really has been on a big boom for the past you know, probably 15 years. Right. Uh, everybody loves it. So yeah. They're a trend getting away from all of the, all the big guys and moving into uh, these small craft breweries that uh, are out there right now. So um, craft brewery, uh, you got two locations. And um, when we were talking before, you didn't start out in this industry. A lot of people do. Uh, mm-hmm. They start out and they work their way up, uh, you know, through uh, all the way to where you're at, where you own not just two locations, but two different types of two different businesses themselves. Mm-hmm. You, you own another place in Hoffman Estates. Another bar in Hoffman. Yep. Nice. So, um, you know, this this uh, the story that you have, because we were talking before and you got your start at a really young age. Yeah. When I was 12, my uh, my dad said to me one day, he goes, why don't you go see if the neighbors need their grass cut? So I walked next door, I knocked on their door and asked them if they wanted the grass cut. They said yes. And that summer I knocked on every single door in our neighborhood and made $2,500 my first summer at, at the age of 12. Then by the time I was 14, I had my friends working for me and we would ride our bikes and pull our lawnmowers behind us, cut the grass, do our thing. And uh, it was great. It was, it worked out really well with uh, a school schedule for a, for a kid my age, yeah. Because the primary, you know, the the grass cutting season was when you're on on summer break, yeah. So did that until for about seven years, and then got into the valet parking business I had right. told you about, and started that this month, which is October twenty eight years ago. Jeez. So. We had uh, a restaurant open up in South Barrington, and I thought back then, what a great combination, because I didn't—I was too young to understand the whole uh, restaurant world and going yeah. out world, because I was still a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so, I thought that people only valeted in the wintertime, and this restaurant was opening up in October, right when the landscaping was coming to an end. Yeah, so it just fat, kind of fell into place a little bit. Fell into place really well, so. Did them together for about three years and then decided to get rid of the uh, the landscaping and lawn maintenance stuff. You know, that was a seasonal thing. I didn't like snow plowing. I didn't want to get into snow plowing. I didn't yeah. like the idea of 24-hour call. Uh, just, you know, it, it's either feast or famine with snow plowing. You know, yeah. either it's yeah, a crazy right. season or you're wondering where the snow is, you know. <laughs> so anyways, did the valley parking and I still have that. And then 13 years ago, I opened up the restaurant in Hoffman Estates. And what's that called? First Place Sports Bar. First Place. Uh Uh-huh. Nice. And so, I mean, you, 
it's safe to say you're a serial entrepreneur. You know, I yes. mean, you started at the age of 12 and you, I mean, most kids, they go to school, maybe they work uh, a little side job here and there, but you kept going. You kept going with it. And, you know, I mean, you brought us all the way to the point where you opened a restaurant. So there's a big difference between, you know, cutting lawn, doing valet, and then owning a restaurant. Yeah. So what was that uh, process? Uh, I guess the better question is, what did you learn each step of the way that brought you to the next step? Ooh. <laughs> I like that. That's a good response. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of different things that were learned along the way. Yeah. Staff is so important. Uh, initiative, drive. And I mean, without the initiative and drive, it, it's, it's so difficult to uh, run your own business and, yeah. and, and do your thing. Of course. So, I mean, if, I, if I'm trying to think of different things that I would have picked up along the way. Well, let's, let's start, let's do it one at a time. So when you're 12, you're learning a lot of things all at once, but to jump into business and actually being successful at it because, um, elaborate a little bit, you actually had employees, you had right. people working for you. This wasn't just like, you know, you're cutting grass or something. It's, it's, uh, it was, it was a bigger operation than that. So, you know, what I, I guess, was there something that maybe drew people to you? Was it your motivation, your drive Re reflecting on that? What, what do you think that might've been? You know, I never thought about that, but that is definitely a, something that for sure I think was a big yeah. part of it because, uh, I've been very lucky with that in my whole life with yeah. people just having that that natural uh, just chemistry uh, with me and the and the and mm -hmm. the, the been drawn to me. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. But still, as I'm trying to think of different things along the way, there's nothing specific. It was always just uh, seeing what needed to be done and doing it. Not yeah, acting, yeah. action, taking action. Never complaining about it. It was just doing it. It wasn't, uh, you know, and I, I, I couldn't isolate individual things along the way other than just uh, I saw a demand and, and I did it. Yeah. You know. Well, that's what that's what business is, really. I right. mean, it's uh, identifying uh, a need and then providing what the solution is for that need. You know? Right. Um, now, uh, doing that at such a young age, there had to be some sort of role model or something. Uh, oh, my dad. Okay. Yeah, Could you, for sure. What did your dad, dad do? He was... He was self-employed for many years in my early life, and he was in the entertainment business. So it was instinctive for him to say to me that that day, like, why don't you go see if the neighbors need their grass cut? You yeah, know? yeah. Um, my grandfather, uh, when we were 10, or when I was 10, mm -hmm. there was a, a big church that was opening up right by our house called Will Creek Community Church. Okay. And... My grandfather said, why don't you go over there and get a job? Now, in today's day and age, you don't see parents or grandparents looking at a 10-year-old saying, why don't you go get a job yeah. somewhere? Yeah. It, it just doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And he told me to do that, and I said, okay. Right. Let's I, listen to your grandfather, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, walked, I grabbed my buddy, Matt, and the two of us walked over to this church because it was walking distance. You could see the church from our house. Sure. 
And we got there and we came across a couple of guys. Uh, one of them was named Joel Jager. He'll always be Im- imprinted in my heart. Mm, yeah. And they, I can only imagine his thought when a 10 year old and my, my buddy Matt was eight at the time come walking up and they said, Hey guys, what, what do you, how can we help you? Yeah. And they said, we want to get a job. And you could see the, the smile on their face. Like, all right. You know, there wasn't even a, all right, well, what, what kind of interview are you going to do? Yeah. You don't have a resume at that point. They weren't even, <laughs> they weren't even hesitant, but they said, no problem. Come on. And yeah. I'm sure it, you know, being in a church environment, they were used to, uh, sure. you know, people volunteering and, yeah, you yeah. Know, there's always a need for the church, right? Yeah. So, anyways, we uh, yeah, it, it started at, at at that age, you know, of my grandfather saying, "Why don't you go see if they uh, if you can get a job over there?" And uh, and then my dad, when I was twelve, and said, "Why don't you go next door and see if the neighbors eat their grass cut?" Yeah. It was never they never made us or made me do anything. It was always, "Why don't you just go see?" Yeah. And I took that with the knock at my neighbor's door to. I knocked on every door. There was probably, you know, 300 homes. Yeah. Uh, the, every, ho- every house I knocked on every door and asked if they needed their grass cut. And it was just a good time and a, a, right. a, a good place. And, of course, you know, I wasn't charging, you know, I mean, my neighbors. Yeah. And they <laughs> yeah. paid me $5. It's really funny you brought that up because I was just talking. Uh, we, you know, pay somebody to do our lawn because um, I'm too lazy. And um, <laughs> uh, so I, I was talking. I was like, you know. I, the only knock that I want on my door is for a kid to knock and say, hey, you know, can I mow your lawn? Yeah. Or can I shovel the snow? Uh-huh. Because, number one, just like you, nobody wants to do residential snow plowing. Right. Um, because, you know, why would you? Uh, there's, it's crazy. But um, a kid with a shovel, I would be more than happy to pay. I would honestly pay the same amount, you know, is what I'm paying if, if the job gets done right. And uh, it's going to a good cause, you know. I mean, I think that anybody that's realistic would would rather hire a neighborhood kid, you know. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. like you said, you don't see that at all. Uh, You don't see that anymore. I mean, and we live in a neighborhood. I mean, Rolling Meadows here, there's kids all over the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, none of them are out. Uh, I mean, you see them riding their bike uh, every now and then or something, but none of them are out doing what you're doing. It used to be like that. I, I remember when I was a kid. You know, I would be looking for little odd jobs around the neighborhood, you know, to make a few bucks to mm-hmm. buy whatever. Um, but it, it's I seem it seems like uh, the culture's changed. Why do you think that is? <laughs> that is a, a great question. That's, <laughs> uh, I have no clue as to why the generations are changing like this. But uh, I, and to what you said a second ago, I was leaving my house the other day and I was driving down the street and I saw a dad with his son and yeah. they both had lawnmowers. So I stopped the car, backed up, I rolled down the window and said, hey, are, are you guys looking to do exactly yeah. the same thing you just said? I was like, are you guys looking to do other grass in the neighborhood? Because I was right now, I'd, I'd yeah. love to have them do it, you know? And they said, unfortunately, no, they were just cutting their grass. Oh, man. But the dad looked at the son and said, you know, like, do, yeah, you, do, you, want, do you want to do it? Go ahead and take and, the lead on this one, right? You know, the son didn't jump. And I said, well, no, no problem. I said, I'm at the end of the street if you guys decide you want to do it. Uh, or him, I said, if you decide you want to do it, just come on down and yeah. and let me know. Right. But I'm the same way. I, if a kid came knocking on my door for something like that, I'd be like, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Why not? You, you can start today. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's something to be done, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. That's, it's, it's crazy how things change like that. And I'm sure that ties into what you do now with finding good um, employees. You know, people yes. um, nowadays oh. don't have that. 
Good they don't employees have that. are hard to find. <laughs> yes, they are. And um, the work ethic isn't the same as it used to be. I mean, you you don't get Nowhere work ethic from school. The same. You know, I think that, you know, this is just a, a opinion or maybe a guess, but I think that the um, level of education that people has have, uh, you know, maybe going to college and, and think, you know, that's the goal instead of getting to work. I think that's what changed culture because everybody thinks that, well, I have a degree, so I, you know, but you never learned how to work for somebody, which is, you know, that's how you do it. That's and how, that's where the success actually comes from. I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, probably playing a big part of this whole next generation that, yeah, cause you're right. The whole thing was always, you know, college, go to school, go to school, right. go to school, instead of get out there and work, 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 work. Yeah. Another quick little story. One of my sure. customers at the Barn Hoffman Estates, he's an older older guy, probably mm-hmm. in his uh, you know, mid-60s or so. He used to work at a, a place in Schaumburg. And yeah. he was telling me, I forgot how we got like, on the topic, but he was telling me that he had a job at a young age and his dad had changed his birth certificate so that he could get this job. <laughs> and going right back to today... When was the last time yeah. that you and I, in the past ten years, heard of a of a parent saying to their kid at fifteen, like, "Look, let's go and get you a job. We'll just we'll lie about your age. Yeah, you know, yeah. We'll get you in there, have you start working, and it, that doesn't exist anymore. Well, even when they're sixteen and seventeen. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. lucky with the valet. I have I work primarily with an age group of like seventeen to you know twenty seven. It's kind of like the sweet spot. Yeah, sure. I'm lucky if one out of 20 different employees that I, that I employ end up being somebody that you and I would look at and go, wow, yeah, this guy is a star. I mean, he's got the drive. He's got the motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, always ready to go. You don't see a lot of that. No. Um, you see people that are trained how to appear that way, though, unfortunately. And then when it comes to actually doing it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, Incidentally, going back to the other point, what we do see is like, I don't know if you paid attention to the the, uh, admission scandal. Uh, (laughs) They're getting, you know, the sentence now for that. But that's that's going back to it would be much better if they actually got him a job Mm -hmm. instead of cheating to get into something, you know, fake that doesn't mean anything, you know, and. A lot of people that I've uh, talked to are, are reconsidering the uh, the whole is college a necessity type of thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I just two weeks ago was having a conversation with somebody about it, ironically. Yeah. And we were talking about how, because I have a six-year-old daughter, and we were talking about how by the time she gets to college age, how expensive college is going to be. Yeah. And the guy I was talking to made a comment. He said, it's the tides are going to turn to debating whether or not the four years of missed income yeah. that you make or that, just you, sorry, that you lose yeah. and accumulate all the debt for college, what's, what's going to be worth more? Yeah. Because, you know, if somebody could come out of high school and make, you know, 
$30,000 a year times four years, it's $120,000. Mm-hmm. Get started. And, and if they're $200,000 in debt when they come out of college, it's a $320,000 swing. How yeah. many years do you have to work to, to offset that? And also, you're competing against a, a whole group of people that have the same credentials you have. So they become almost... Mm-hmm. Now everybody's just in debt and has no skills, and you end up working at Starbucks, which there's nothing wrong with working at Starbucks, but you didn't go to school to work at Starbucks. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so you, didn't you lost get those debt. four years right. when you could have been working somewhere, doing something, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do, too, with the fact that there's so many jobs that uh, were taken by immigrants coming into the country yeah. that a lot of people just didn't think they should do those jobs anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. And that combined with the increasing need for all the different trades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a flip because now you have an overabundance of college educated people that are competing for the same pool of jobs. And now uh, you don't have any skilled people to handle the, the skilled trades. And so, you know, those those people that, that went to school and got in debt, they're, they're doing jobs that they're not qualified for actually doing the skilled labor jobs or they don't have work ethic or, or experience. And um, that's, a, that's a huge, huge problem. I mean, it's just getting worse. We're digging ourselves deeper and deeper in that. Um, now, uh, we, I can go on and on and on about this stuff, um, but uh, getting a little bit back to the, the uh, you know, your, your art level here, um, how do you knowing all this stuff? How do you what do you, what would you say is your management style? What do you look for in somebody? How do you vet people? Do you just give them a chance and see what happens, or how do you how does that process work? I feel like when I meet somebody, I know in the first hmm. five minutes what sort of drive and what sort of initiative they have. I definitely feel like a large. Uh, maybe not a large, but a, a good chunk of the workforce that you and I might come across that we'd be like, wow, this person has uh, some initiative and drive. Yeah. A lot of it stems from their own personal need. Yeah. So take a girl who might have a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she didn't have the initiative and the drive before the child, but now she's got the child and says, it's do or die. I, I have to go to work. Yeah. Like, I don't have a choice. Like, wh- what hours do you have? I'll take whatever you have. Right. As opposed to the initiative and drive in somebody before being proactive, before they get to the, the yeah. needs in life, you know, apartments and cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like as soon as I meet somebody, I'll know in the first five minutes uh, what sort of Yeah, or determination at least enough for your have. liking, I guess, mm-hmm. right? For your yeah. You know, just a, a pre-qualification, and it, then it's about action. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That that is really true, though, because uh, when you don't really have a reason um, to either sink or swim, it's it's a lot harder to make it. You know, yeah. to, to make it work. Um, and that is another entrepreneurial thing. And I hate that word, but uh, it, it's it's when you when you go into your own thing and you're not working for somebody else and you don't have uh, the option to just switch companies and work for, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's your life's work. um, That's a really big leap of faith. That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a really big, um, uh, it, it, it takes a lot to be able to do that. And it's not for everybody. 
what uh, obviously you had an experience you know growing up but what made you decide you know what i'm just going to i'm just going to do this you know this, i'm going to open a restaurant you know after those other things on my own not going to work for somebody else not going to you know work my way up in the restaurant business just do it what was that about well what transitioned me from the landscaping law maintenance into the valet was just a seasonal thing once again i didn't know any better yeah uh, that first season of valet parking from october to march you know when march rolled around and my landscaping would be getting ready to start back up the valet was this restaurant was only getting busier they went through a the first seven years of just unprecedented growth for a, a, a small individual and restaurant right um so that transition was just because I needed something to do in the wintertime. You know, prior to the valet, I would just go wherever my friends got a job and work wherever they were working in the wintertime while yeah. I was in school. I, you know, I was in high school and I would go and get a job wherever they were. I actually worked at Portillo's. Portillo's was oh, one okay. of the places I worked at. And I definitely learned uh, a lot of valuable things from Portillo's. Sure. You know, their their standards are, as you know, every, everybody knows Portillo's yeah. in this area. Yeah. You know, are second to none. and. I learned that that's an important part of business. Like they don't compromise anything. Yeah, and it's 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 nice to see that because you know they they are. A, I mean, we love Portillo as a, as a Chicagoan, but um, you, when you go to one, you know you can expect a level of quality. Oh. Any, at, at any of them, um, you know. So that's uh, that is interesting. And um, so that was one of my that was one of my winter jobs before the yeah. the valet, but. Then the transition from the valet, I, I was working at restaurants. Like we had several different restaurants and nightclubs and banquet halls, private events at people's homes. So I was very exposed to the industry, mm -hmm. uh, to restaurants and bars. And one of my very good friends, his dad owned a restaurant already. Mm -hmm. They were thinking I'll open up the one in Hoffman Estates. And they said, would you be interested? And of course I was interested because I was already so... Yeah, you were entrenched in it already. Entrenched in it already. So that was that transition to, uh, you know, from the landscaping to the valet to the restaurant. And it was just always, it's a natural progression. Yeah. So, so what, um, what did you do when you started there at the, at the Hoffman Estates place? Were, were you in a management level or were you just working there? Oh, no, we, we, we built it. Oh, you built it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, yeah we, that, that was it right there. We had taken a space that was a, a restaurant prior to us and gutted it out. Gotcha. And built uh, the sports bar. And how long ago was that? This past June was our 13-year anniversary, Congrats. but it was right around November, December, <clears throat> 14 years ago that we started the planning for it. Sure. And we opened in June of the following year. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank it's, you. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of hard work to keep a place open for five years, yeah. let alone thirteen. Um, they it's, say most of them close within the first two two to five years. Yeah, the number one failing business in the country, and it's yeah, people always from the outside when they see a restaurant or a bar or a sports bar, or yeah, anything. They always see the the glitz and the glamour of it. You know, talking right. to people and interacting, but they forget what goes on either side of the walls over here mm -hmm. with yeah. the kitchen and with your books and with liquor and with beer employees. Yeah. 
all those things add up to a lot of headaches and it's a for the most part most restaurants it's a nickel and dime business it's uh it's micromanaging it's for example if uh if a server grabs a stack of napkins and brings it to a table and the manager says hey uh brought too many napkins to that table there's only two people you brought 10 napkins and the server in her head rolls her eyes and thinks it's five cents of napkins yeah (laughs) what they don't understand is that there's 10 employees and how many guys in the kitchen bartenders if everybody is wasting just simply a dollar a day yeah at the end of the year, all of a sudden, that added up to thousands and thousands of dollars, and it's so hard for people to comprehend that. They think it's yeah, I know. they That's think right. they think you're micromanaging. They think that you're uh, nitpicking, and they don't understand that it's not about. We're not going to pay the rent because you we saved you from serving an extra eight napkins. Yeah, but if that manager saves twenty dollars a hundred times a month, that's two thousand dollars twenty dollars is very attainable for sure. somebody to pay attention to what's happening whether they're watching a bartender over pour a drink whether too many fries are coming out on a plate when the kitchen guys you know put the fries on the plate to go out right to napkins and uh, I mean it, it, it's yeah no I mean it's a really I mean it makes perfect sense and I I think that just for a lot of it, even offices, office supplies go missing at number one all, all the oh time. Gosh, uh, you know, post-it notes, especially pens. Um, the bleeding that happens in corporate America, is, yes. in the office environment, has got to be staggering. And uh, nobody, uh, I've never really, very rarely have I had somebody explain why people are stingy about those things um, as an employee. You know, at an employee level, you don't really get that understanding. And then I think that's kind of the root of animosity sometimes. And, and people kind of think, well, this guy's just being, you know, but that's how the roof is, uh, you know, <laughs> over over the, their head. Um, so. So, yeah, I, wa- I wonder um, if that might be something that'd be important to kind of explain that sometimes more uh, mm-hmm. to employees to, to make them kind of get a deeper understanding. And then also, um in a lot of a lot of businesses a lot of jobs you know this restaurant industry especially people do work their way up you know and, and yes. they, they have aspirations um, to work in the industry and to, to kind of uh, you know maybe someday start their own thing um, so just getting that on on the job back back of the house type of experience or just understanding that's appreciation. For yeah sure. yeah that uh, that that seems like it would be uh, very valuable uh, to put out there and um, so, you know, 13 years with a successful place, um, that's great. Now, you also got into another place, which is Bigby's. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got, he got it right. I got it right this time, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so hard when you, when you have it in your head one way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, why did you decide to get into the business, into the same business in a different place? So <clears throat> besides the, the sports bar in Hoffman Estates, I had opened up another restaurant in Mundelein okay. uh, in 2013. And we had a five-year lease, so we did the whole five years there. And then, the, unfortunately, the landlord went into foreclosure, so oh, wow. uh, we had to close the restaurant at the end of that five-year lease because the uh, note holder did not want to sign a new lease with us because they don't want to be a landlord. Yeah. So I had that place. That place closed. <clears throat> 
and it was just really good timing on Big Bees. My girlfriend's family is in the amusement device industry. Yeah, And right. they have several customers, probably over 500 customers in the Chicagoland area. They do dartboards and jukeboxes and pool tables, things sure, like that. yeah. It's big business. Mm-hmm. And they, Big Bees was one of their customers. Mm-hmm. And they had obviously a relationship with Ed, who's the, the founder, the, the guy who started Big Bees. And Ed was going through some financial struggles. And my girlfriend's family had offered to him, would you be, you know, do you need help? Would you like us to, you know, step in and, and give you not only financial assistance, but some structure? Because once again, everybody sees the front of the house, but yeah. they don't realize the extent of what goes on on the other side of the walls and how much has to happen. Everything from filing your sales tax every month to mm. payroll, to ordering beer, ordering liquor, ordering food, making sure stuff's not getting wasted. I mean, ordering all your supplies, every single thing that you see inside of a restaurant, whether it be this table, whether it be a fork, whether it be a chair, a glass, there are hundreds of different options for those things. Yeah. You have to pick when you open up, you have to make a decision. Uh, Some places like the thin fry, some places like the thick fry, some places like crinkle cut. Mm -hmm. Portillo's is crinkle cut and they're delicious. McDonald's is thin fries, they're delicious. But everybody has their different thing, what they what they like, what they don't like. So there's so many things that happen in inside the the restaurant that every day that somebody has to take care of. And Ed was with the second location was in over his head. Yeah. And it was difficult for him to manage the back. So they offered to him the, the financial help and the structure and the support on the back end to keep all of the things that all the people that walk in the door that they don't see. Yeah. That keep the lights on. They keep right. the roof over the head, like you said, you know, a little while ago. So Ed, of course, was interested. And yeah. then they had called me and said, hey, because they knew that my restaurant in Mundelein was was closing. Yeah. And I said, well, would you want to do this? And I said, yeah. And that's how uh, Big Bees how I got involved with Big Bees. Well, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, you know, some, some people have been talking about this a with a bunch of other people, you overextend yourself a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very easy to do that when you're having success, when, when it's, when it's good, everything seems like it's going to be great forever. Yes. Um, but it's not necessarily, huh. um, there's ups and downs in any business. Um, and a lot of people, uh, because I, I've, I've interviewed a, you know, a couple, uh, restaurant owners, Mike and, you know, the guys at Daisy's already just recently. And, you know, we were just talking about this, uh, you know, I've seen restaurants that are great. They have great food. Uh, the people are nice. Um, you know, great, great service. And you, you can't imagine how they could ever fail, you know? I mean, because the food is, if you have good food, everybody thinks, well, let's just keep doing that, you know? Uh, but then they open another location and another location, and then they mismanage, you know, and, and, and things, like you say, people aren't paying attention to the napkins anymore. Mm-hmm. And things are walking out of the door. And things are getting stolen, and, and uh, all all the things fall apart. So uh, I, th- I think that's a, definitely in, in so many different businesses yeah. and, and types of businesses. You know, the better things are, the less yeah you're not tight you are right when when it, when the the money's coming and everybody is doing well. You're not like you said. You're not worried. You're not watching anymore the little things, but you yeah. don't realize how much that bleeding affects your right. bottom line and. Over the years, I mean, I'm sure you've seen restaurants that started 
you know, this big and said, oh my gosh, we're so busy this big. Yeah. If we're busy, this busy, this big, if we double it, we'll be twice as busy. Yeah. And I don't know what the percentage is, but it's got to be big of the places that start here and go here and then fail. Yeah. For every one that we know of that took the leap and said, hey, we could do this. And they had the, the wherewithal and the structure to maintain mm-hmm. and, and run the business properly for every one of those that did it right there's got to be a hundred that yeah oh, more way more yeah you know I mean, yeah I mean, decided it's... to expand and get bigger and said oh my gosh this was the worst mistake because ultimately it is much better to have a small place that's always busy yeah instead of a bigger place that you're fighting to make busy right yeah and that just goes with everything i mean when there's um, demand and there's scarcity, uh, then mm-hmm. there's more hype. You know, I mean, businesses like Supreme make their whole model on that. They make, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you know, the clothing, um, they, they just release like a t-shirt. <laughs> they, they'll do like a hundred of them and they charge, you know, $5,000 for a per t-shirt. It's nothing special. It's just a t-shirt and screen print and ink. Um, but they can make that, that brand, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so popular. And, and so create you know, the, yeah, it's the, the buzz. And it's the, the buzz. Yeah, it's not even the steak. It's all sizzle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so so that's uh, that's an interesting thing. But at the same time, you know, um, you you obviously any business owner always wants to be growing. So uh, it makes sense to me how you uh, got into what you're doing now. How do you keep yourself from falling into that trap of maybe getting comfortable and uh, and, and maybe overextending yourself? How do you keep yourself grounded? It is tough, and I always tell people every day the bus is moving. It's yeah, you know, even with employees that you know think that they might be able to hold you uh, hostage, if you will. You know, if they're I'm not going to work, or what are you going to do without me? And I look at all of them. I go this every morning. I wake up and the bus is moving. Yeah, I, I don't have a choice. I am going to make happen whatever has to happen, mm-hmm. whether it's me or I find somebody to do it. So it's, how do I keep myself out of that? It's hard, like I said, I, I, I mean, I, I catch myself doing it. It's, I, I couldn't look at you and say, I don't do it. Yeah. You know, I definitely find my comfort slash lazy zone. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel like doing this today. But, you know, sometimes I did that and then I had to be reactive to what that caused. Yeah. So if I decided on Monday I was going to postpone or procrastinate or do something. Mm-hmm. Piles up quick. I'm picking up the pieces on Tuesday because I didn't do it. Yeah. So, but I'm guilty of it. I, I, yeah, everybody I, is. I tend to procrastinate and, and I know it and yeah, it, well, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's, it's real. It's honest. I mean, everybody, everybody that's listening has an example of that somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's definitely good to hear. And it's, it's not, um, uh, whether or not that's happening, it's how you deal with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's exactly. <laughs> you're going to do it. Just how you deal with it. So, um, give me a couple examples of like, I mean, was there a time where you were like, you know what? I I just I don't want to do this anymore. This is too much. You know, no. some, there wasn't never. I've never gotten to that point. 
Wow. So I live for the, I live for the thrill, for the, for the pressure. Yeah. Um, I, even though I procrastinate and I have my moments where I want to kick myself in the butt to get moving, I love the, I, I I handle pressure very well. So I, for me, it's never been a, oh man, what did I get myself into? Or I don't want to do this. The grass is always greener. I don't yeah. care who you are, where you're from. Everybody sees what I do. Because from the, I've had, I think every single friend I've ever had in my life, and I have lifelong friends, mm-hmm. have all worked for me in some capacity. And they've always, a lot of them have their corporate jobs, uh, office jobs, whatever it may be. And I know a lot of them look and go, man, be nice not to have to have to do anything you know mm-hmm. it, 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 they, they think it's the, the grass is greener on my side and there's times that i look at it and be like wow i'd like to come home on wednesday at 5 30 and know that i don't have to do i don't have to do anything clock in the, and clock out until the next morning when i show up at the office and do my job and yeah. then the next day come home at 5 30 and on friday at 5 30 i have the whole weekend to do whatever i want and not worry about anything instead they, okay. they they see my side and they go oh we want the the, the freedom and the yeah you're, there's, no, there's no freedom here right and <laughs> they don't realize that on Friday when you're thinking about going home from work I'm thinking about what I'm heading into for the weekend because I have the bars yeah. and I have the valet so it's all happening like Fridays and Saturdays are when we're busy you know yeah and I always I tell people the president of the United States has a phone next to his bed. Mm-hmm. That when there's a problem, it rings. Yeah, he's waking up. Yeah, yeah. He's the boss, and he has to get calls at times. Yeah, and I have to explain to people that on Friday night at ten o'clock at night, my phone might ring, and they might say, "Hey, we have a problem, or there's an issue, or something." I have to take it. Yeah, it's not, mm-hmm. and and I don't mind. Like I actually, once again, I, I I like it. It it's 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 my business. It's what I do, and it doesn't bother me even in the least. People are, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. And I have to explain to employees all the time. It's, it's honestly not a bother. Like, I, I appreciate it because I'd rather answer this question now than pick up the pieces on Monday. Well, and then on, a, on another note, at least you have somebody ringing your phone. Right. You know, that's a big thing. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't have somebody ringing their phone. And uh, like, for instance, somebody that uh, maybe is a small business owner that has no employees. You know, now it's like you got to be on it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, that's another thing. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of different types of businesses out there. They all have their, their type of, uh, you know, ups and downs and, and facets to them. Um, what would you say, because you've done this, you know, since you were a kid, what would you say to somebody that was thinking about maybe getting into business? doesn't have to be the restaurant business, but just doing something for themselves. What would be the three most important things that they can do now to prepare themselves for what will happen when that happens, if they take that leap? Well, I always say initiative and drive. If you don't have initiative and drive, if you, while I'm sitting here, I've already looked in this room at every corner of this room that we've been sitting here and I see where something needed to be done or if the chairs weren't stacked right or whatever the situation may be. And if you don't have that initiative and that drive, it's gonna be so much harder because part of being a small business owner is knowing that 
there isn't really a job description. Yeah. You do everything. Right. So when I walk into any of my restaurants or, I, or with the valet or whatever, I'll park cars, I'll make drinks, I'll pour beers, I'll clean tables, I'll pick up garbage off floors. Whatever needs to be done, I do it. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that somebody's going to say, oh, you still park cars? Yeah, if I get to one of my valet accounts and it's it busy, done. Yeah. I'm getting in a car and I'm parking it. I'm greeting people. I'm handing out tickets. Uh, I'm opening doors for people. So initiative and drive are, to me, two of the most important things. And I think that if somebody has a willingness to work, like we said earlier, not because you have a child, not because you have a bill, not because you... It's, it's a willingness to work and, yeah. and, and do it. I think that's, I mean, obviously that's part of the initiative and the drive as well. But I, on a third thing, I know it's in the back of my head and I'm sure I have an answer. I, off the top of my head, I just, right now, those are the first two things that come to my mind. I, I think that, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you we've, we've touched on lots of different things and, and I think the third thing is probably just that it thing that nobody can really put their finger on. Mm-hmm. You have to have that spark Yep. And uh, I don't think that anybody can truly define that. Um, but I think it probably has a lot to do with I'm doing this. I'm stubborn. And if I fail, it's on me. But that's not an option. So let's mm-hmm. just do it. You know, um, if there's if you're not 100 percent in on it, then you're probably going to fail. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> uh, because there's no parachute, you know. And uh, so that's uh, that's interesting. Um, and, I, and I know this might sound really small and very insignificant and in, in the big picture we're talking about but I think a smile goes a long long way yeah I think when when people have met me over the years and I and I watch other people a smile is a huge difference yeah you know, when, definitely. When, when you're gonna open up a business and you're gonna be uh, interacting with strangers you don't know I think it's a very welcoming thing that whether you have a clothing store, whether you have a restaurant, whether you have a valet business, everybody wants to be around somebody that's being welcoming and nice. You know, I think that's a a big thing. So obviously not, not a big, uh, not a big, it it, doesn't seem big, but it is. Yeah. It it, it makes a big difference. I get it. Yeah. And I have to, I tell my employees all the time. I go, you would be shocked at what a difference people how you're received when you smile at them Absolutely. when they walk in yeah. and say, "Hey, how you doing tonight?" You know, well, thanks for coming. What can I get you? You know, especially in the in hospitality service industry. I mean, if you're, but in any business, in, I guess it could be a clothing right. store, it could be a car dealership, it could be anything. Yeah, when someone you, it gives you that like, oh, nice person. Like, yeah, I want I want to talk approachable. To, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I want to buy something from this person. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. so. But you're right, hospitality. It's like sure. if you don't, then it's mm. do or die with that. But no, I mean, uh, uh, I was in sales for, for, I guess I still am, but um, for a long time. And uh, one of the things is you could have a really, really great product, but there's somebody that probably has something similar to what you have. And the people buy you first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's people that are selling the same thing for the same price sitting right next to you. And you could have the same conversation with somebody, say exactly the same thing, but it's not about what you say, it's how you say it mm-hmm. and how you, how you come across. And uh, I've also had people um, buy, buy from me at a higher price 
probably a, a, not as good of a deal, a bargain. And they do it and they told me, well, I just like dealing with you, you know? And yeah. that, that is something that is like, wow. Um, and it's that, huge. Yeah. And that it makes, it, it, it humbles you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, it shows you how uh, important that relatability and, um, you know, how, how you, you know, what you, what you do, what you put out in the world, how, how important that is for what you get back, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so that's great. And, um, and, I, and also, too, going along with what you're saying, I remember back when I was younger, I remember I said we had gotten, I would get a job wherever my friends were working or whatever. Sure. And I remember my friends who didn't have jobs, and they would say, you know, there's no one hiring, and, and so-and-so got a job here, and I wanted to get a job there. Yeah. And I remember telling people that I could almost walk into any place Obviously, it's not going to be a lawyer or an accountant sure, you know, yeah. or a doctor, but any other retail or uh, anything in the Schomburg land area mm-hmm. and get a job. They don't have to have a hiring sign up. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to introduce myself. There's something working. And there's going to be that, like we talked about earlier, that, that draw, that connection. Say, wow, this kid's got some drive. Well, people yeah. see value. Yeah, people 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 recognize value when they see it. A lot of times, some people don't, uh, but but smart people do. So that simple, you know, like like we said, with sales, that simple knock on the door of yeah, hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And what's all, next? All of a sudden, the now hiring sign is you're hiring, or yeah, like you said, you're selling something that they met ton of other people, and 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 especially in the restaurant industry, like I said. We get fifteen different people trying to sell us straws. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, they're all the same exact product. They're both they're all made of plastic. They're all within pennies of each other. Mm-hmm. And who do you go with? And it, a lot of times, it's going to come down to it's my friend or I like this guy. You know, whatever. The they're easy to is. deal with. Mm-hmm. It's not headache. You're not. You're not. You know. Uh, you're not getting bugged. It's a. It's a simple. Um, transaction you know? yes uh, streamline is better uh, a lot of times and um, so the the transition that I wanted to get into uh, about um, how you know you you it's it's what you put out there it's the, even when you're doing something similar because there's lots of bars and restaurants there's lots of people that do craft beers what sets big bees apart well I would say one of the big things about Big B's is that it's a craft beer bar not a brewery it's a craft beer bar so you can come there and get any number of different breweries we try to go as local as much as we can with local breweries that are in the area sure um, but we one of the nicest things about it is that you can if, if you like craft beer you can walk in there and find something yeah delicious that you will like because that's what we focus on is craft beers we also have a full liquor menu and And that's new too right mm -hmm. uh tell us about that a little bit and we my partner ryan uh spent a lot of time looking for local distilleries local wineries and we really came up with a great selection of wines liquors and beers Mm -hmm. for the people that are looking to support local, they're yeah. looking for 
the mom and pop place that they can go to. It's very comfortable. It's a comfortable setting, comfortable environment, and enjoy some great local products from might be their neighbor that's yeah, making the beer. Yeah, the guy down the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and those are the best things. Those those, those gems that you can't find anywhere else. Right. Um, so that is definitely something that sets you apart. And um, we're not, and the places aren't big. They're very small. They're very mm-hmm. quaint, and you don't feel that overpowered walking into a you know seven eight thousand square foot restaurant where you just yeah. feel like you're you feel you like know, you're in a Walmart that sells mm-hmm. fancy stuff. Right. So these places are nice because they they give you that comfortable mm-hmm. one-on-one with you know your bartender and conversation and and food and drink. And what are your hours? So Rolling Meadows every day opens up at four o'clock, mm-hmm. and we close at midnight Sunday through Thursday, and then on Friday open till two, and on Saturday open till three. Gotcha. And, um, Addison is open at 11 a.m. every day. Oh, okay. And we close uh, at midnight, Sunday through Thursday, and 2 o'clock on Friday and Saturday. Gotcha. And um, now you don't just do um, beer and alcohol and wine. You also have uh, some, some eats as well. Correct. And we like to consider it, uh, Ryan's girlfriend, Mel, came up with the idea of a creative cuisine because mm-hmm. it's basically what it is almost like a tapas style sure food fair so we have like my one of my favorite things is called pro sushi and we take <laughs> uh these layers of prosciutto uh lay them out and then we layer it with some arugula and then some fresh mozzarella and we roll it so it looks like a sushi roll <laughs> and we cut them into little sushi roll size pieces and we serve them with uh, like an italian vinaigrette dipping sauce uh dressing and, Sounds really good. Mm-hmm, and they're delicious. It, like I said, my, my favorite thing on the menu. Mm-hmm. Pizzas, flatbreads, a lot of uh, different types of pizzas that you wouldn't normally see on a menu. We have an elotes egg roll. So, you know, elotes is yeah. a Mexican corn. Uh, we put it inside of an egg roll wrapper and we deep fry it. Wow, so that's that's interesting. Those are delicious. Anything that has to do with a lote, though, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> yeah. Especially, well, if you fry anything as well. It's yeah, exactly. Um, and then we have these things called Casalingo chips. They are a very high-grade, high-end uh, Italian, similar to like a pepperoni, but like a sapersad. Um, and we slice them thin, slice the, the Casalingo thin, and then we deep fry them, and they turn into like a chip. Oh, wow. And it's a spicy yeah. uh, meat. And we serve those with a delicious dipping sauce, too. Those have been probably our best-selling appetizer. That sounds interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are definitely things that, you know, you don't see everywhere. And I think that that's, uh, that's an important kind of draw. Even if it's not for everybody, if there's something for somebody mm-hmm. there, you know, something uh, to try. And everybody likes pizza, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so there's always something. But beer... And interesting things. Now, do you change your items regularly, or is it uh, uh, so something the, that you just perfect and keep them? Um, so the, the beer is constantly changing. Gotcha. You could come in today and see a beer on the menu, and tomorrow it's gone. Hmm. And the crazier part is that brewery may not make it again. Yeah. It might wow. be two months before we could even get our hands on it hmm. before they make it again. Uh, a lot of seasonal brews, like right now we're coming into the holiday season, so yeah. one of our uh, breweries is making a Christmas IPA. 
that we'll be carrying very soon. Gotcha. And when that's gone, it's gone. Yeah. You know, they might only make a hundred kegs of it, and if you bought a keg, if they don't have any more in the it. warehouse, when yeah. that one runs out, it's it's gone. Hmm. So we use a a platform called called Untapped. We don't actually have a yeah. paper beer menu inside the restaurants. Okay. We have it's a digital platform that you can get the app on your phone and anytime see what we have for our beer selection. So if you're looking for something specific before you go to Big B's, you could actually look and say, Wow, they have the you know, the IPA milkshake that I want. I'm mm. going there tonight for that. Yeah. So uh, only and it changes too too frequently to try to maintain it with a paper menu that we'd be constantly. Yeah, no, I'm I'm familiar with Untapped. I use it for some of my customers too. And you can find um, the uh, uh, you can you can actually find the links to the Untapped uh, menu for both locations at Big B's PH. That's Big B's Poorhouse, basically. Big B's PH dot com. Um, you can check out those menus there and. Um, uh, there's there's lots of different things. He's not joking. There's lots of different uh, options, and you know uh, when you don't have paper menus because the selection changes often. You know, no yeah. stale beer, and uh, good selection, good taste. So um, that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And uh, what do you have coming up? So we decided to start doing a brewery of the month. So every month there is going to be a different brewery that we highlight, and we're going to carry at least two of their. Uh, drafts uh, on draft two, two of their brews on draft and the one of the cool things about doing these programs is that encourages the breweries to come out and do samplings with the customers so if you're somebody that's thinking about you know uh, you see a beer that you're interested in but you don't want to try a whole a whole glass of it yeah when they do these tastings you get to come out and try the different ones that they have and they sample them to you uh, for free sure and the Brewery of the Month program encourages the breweries to come out and do that. And so I'd assume there's be promotions, t shirts, things like that mm-hmm. coming and out. And they give away all kinds of swag. Yeah. And then what we do on the, on, besides doing the Brewery of the Month program, what we do to encourage sales of that product, we run a special price on it. So, so it's a nice, because some, some of the beers are expensive. Yeah. They, sure. You, you could pay for a nine ounce pour of some things. Sometimes you could pay eight nine dollars for just an eight or nine ounce pour because yeah. the alcohol content is higher and you know blah 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 yeah but the nice thing about these the, the program we're running is it's an affordable drink and you can taste lots of different things mm-hmm. hang out yeah that's awesome okay so are you doing anything to work with the local uh, uh places in the area in terms of other bars? Yeah, other bars in the area. Like, uh, are you teaming up with them? Because I know that uh, there's a couple events going on this weekend since we're recording on, uh, you know, in October here. Not exactly sure what the release date for this is going to be, but um, I know that you're doing some things, teaming up with some other uh, other places in the area. Do you have anything coming up, um, you know, for maybe St. Patrick's Day or anything like that? Yeah, so we're doing the pub crawl for this, this weekend, October 26th, and then we're thinking that we would do another pub crawl in March for St. Patrick's Day. And we would team up with Stadium, Reps, Bulldog, and of course, us Big Bees. Awesome. Now, uh, that's an interesting thing because, you know, the other places, you know, we're at Reps right now, mm-hmm. um, which is a great place. He's a friend of mine and uh, I'm happy to uh, be here. Um, but uh, one of the things is a lot of businesses think that, oh, well, they sell beer, they sell food, they're competition, they're bad. You know, and that's wrong. That's yes. a mistake. 
what are some of the benefits of working with the other places in the area? Well, you definitely, I think it's important for restaurants in general to see the, the culture that you're creating in that town uh, by having more restaurants and more bars uh, becomes a destination for people who may not live in Royal Meadows who would want to come to Royal Meadows because there's so much, so many different places to choose from and so many different options. So I agree. You, know, you can't look at it as competition. You have to look at it as though, hey, we're all in this together. And the more people we draw here, yeah. that word will spread. Like, wow, we went to Royal Meadows and they had this and they had that and they had this. And that spreads. And yeah. more people want to come and see what that buzz is all about and why, why what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. Did you hear about John going to that place in Royal Meadows that the place was busy and then they went over to this place? Yeah. And it creates a real nice community here of, of business that... I think every community needs, yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, you go into the downtown areas of Arlington Heights or Palatine, yeah. there's restaurants and bars everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not competition in between each individual one. It's inevitably we're human. We're not going to want to go to Big B's every single day. Yeah, of course. We're not going to want to go to yeah. reps every single day. We want something different. We want to try different things, meet some new people. Right. So, I mean, luckily and fortunately for us, reps and stadium and bulldog and us we have our regular customers that yeah they're, they're there probably four or five days a week and we're grateful for them absolutely you know but still at the end of the day it's nice to give some other options for people to try different things and see different places yeah yeah that's great and uh you know this this uh this this town has needed that for a while so it's mm-hmm. great that you guys are in the area so um a really great conversation uh everybody again you can check out big Big, uh, Big B's, they got two locations, uh, 1649 Algonquin Road in Rolling Meadows, and then also 1700 West Lake Street in Addison, wherever you happen to be, um, check them out. And uh, check out their uh, untapped menus on their website at bigbeesph.com. Yep. Uh, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank uh, it's, you. It's been a pleasure, and um, we'll be talking again soon. Yeah, thank you very much.